Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I've been in Ecuador. I was on a mission trip with, uh, with some people from our church as, long as, with, as well as an Ecuadorian mission team. And uh, man, just have really good time. Really good stories, uh, worn out. We worked really hard, saw some really cool things, intersected with some really unbelievable ministries to see the way God is working. And, and if there's one takeaway I could give you from just as I was thinking, oh, there's a bunch of them, but one, one of the takeaways I might give you is you can make a difference. And I just was amazed as I watched uh, over the course of a couple weeks how individuals who were faithful, who stayed put, who continued to invest their life, who continued to give. Then they went through ups, they went through downs, they went through hardships, they saw God work. But God is continuing to flourish his church all around this globe. And I got to see little pockets of people in the, in the country of Ecuador where faithful people have partnered um, with, with faithful servants and those individuals are making a difference in neighborhoods and in communities and in, in little parts of, of, of that country where they're really transforming lives and making an amazing difference. And man, I just came back and was thinking, I mean, what, would, what would 10 people whose hearts were wholly surrendered to the Lord, what, what a difference would that make in our city? What if 100 of us had hearts who were wholly surrendered to the Lord and what a difference that would make in our city and ripple out uh, through, throughout the rest of our country and really throughout the world? And it's happening. It happens over and over. And God's been doing it for 2,000 years. And we get to join in and to partner with that. And so, man, there were good things that I saw. I also saw some things that were sort of humbling for me personally. Uh, can I tell you one funny story? On our, on our first day in Ecuador, on our first meal that we shared together with a team, uh, we gathered around in this little room and there was, a, there was an area where they were doing a bunch of kids ministry, so they had a bunch of kids equipment and we all were grabbing up our food and trying to find a place to sit as we were kind of down in this food really quickly between seeing patients and, uh, and, and all the other things that were going on this mission trip. And so, and I grabbed uh, some food up and I went over and there was a little space between two people and I went over and plopped myself down on this little plastic kids table. And you starting to visualize what's gonna happen here? Um, I'll just say, it did not slow me down at all. Like when I went down, I just went right to the floor. Table shattered, went everywhere. My first impression with these 20 people I was going to spend the entire week with was me splattered on the ground, food everywhere, and, and a table that people who don't have a whole lot had for little kids to play with, shattered and scattered all across the floor. It was one of my better moments. Um, uh, way to make a good impression with some good friends, right? So I, I learned an important lesson here, though. Um, first, don't sit on stuff that won't hold you up. Uh, I'd say that jokingly, but also say that seriously. That, that you can't lean on something that is not strong enough to hold you up and expect good results. You know, our trust is only as strong as the thing which we are trusting. 
realize that in our faith, it's not the amount of our faith or the quality of our faith or the, the emotion behind our faith that actually causes us to stand up. It's the thing that we put our faith in that causes us to stand up. And if we make a poor choice and if we put all the weight of our life on something that can't bear the weight of our lives, then you're gonna end up looking foolish like me, scattered on the ground, embarrassed about all the things that happen after, after leaning on a flimsy object of your faith. So today we're gonna to be looking at the book of Proverbs. If you've got your Bibles, you might turn to Proverbs chapter three. We're gonna look through really the first 12 verses, just the first section there in Proverbs three. And, and this study has been a good reminder for me, just in the season we're in and the season I'm in, uh, it's just been a, it's been a helpful reminder of me this week to look at the truth of the scriptures and to say, Lord, where is it I need to trust you and where is it I need to lean on my understanding of you rather than leaning on my, uh, my, the understanding I have within, in and of myself? I hope it'll be encouraging for you too. Verses five and six, uh, these really are kind of the most famous ver- verses in the entire book of Proverbs. They're kind of the North Star of our spirituality. And so very important verses here. Verse, uh, Proverbs chapter three, starting verse one. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce and your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Let me make just a few quick observations as we kind of dive into this. First, I want you to know that, notice the, the phrase that shows up in verse 1 and verse 11. It kind of brackets this whole section. It says, my son. This is fatherly advice given to a son that he loves. This is someone who's sending a son out into the world in order to, to make their way and build a life. And he wants to send them out with kind of fatherly wisdom. And so here a father is speaking to a son, and that really sets the tone for uh, for the whole passage that we're looking at today. And as you get into this, I want you to notice too, there's a, there's a pattern that develops. In fact, every, uh, every two verses are, are what we call a couplet, kind of in this poetical form of the Proverbs. And in this poetry, he starts off and he gives you some wise counsel in, in the first verse of the couplet. And then in the second verse of the couplet, he gives you kind of a motivation or an incentive to obey. So he says, here's what you need to do. And then he says, and here's why you want to do it. And so every one of these, uh, the, these little sections here in this, in this passage work in that, sort of a, in that sort of a pattern or way. So for instance, verse one, here's the wise counsel. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's the instruction that he gives. Then he gives you the motivation to do that or the incentive. He says, for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Father's trying to persuade his son and motivate his son to do the right thing. And really through that, vicariously, the writer's doing that for us too. He's trying to convince us 
and motivate us to trust the Lord and to obey him. So let's dive in. Verses one and two, uh, we see the, this section. He starts off and he's talking, he says, do not forget my teaching. Man, we are forgetful people, aren't we? Parents with kids, how many times do you have to tell your, your child what their chores are? You're like, hey, didn't I tell you to do the dishes today? You get a couple hours later, it's like, hey, have you done the dishes yet? They, hey, did you get to the dishes? And it's like, oh, no, no, I will, I will, I will, right? Because we're just forgetful. And we see that in our human parenting, but we're also forgetful spiritually. I mean, how many times do we hear a sermon and you walk away and you're like, man, that was really helpful. And by the time lunch gets here, you've already forgotten what it was we talked about. And someone goes, so what was the sermon about? And you're like, oh man, I don't know. How many times do you get up in the morning and you have a devotional time, you spend time in the word and you get all the way to traffic on the way to the office and your sanctification begins to unravel because you've forgotten everything that matters in life about that quickly when someone cuts you off. It is not hard for us to become forgetful about the things that are really important to us because we, we live in this here and now that happens so fast. And as we're moving from one thing to another, it's easy for the most important stuff to sort of fade to the back as we obsess over oftentimes the trivial stuff and it pushes everything else aside. He says, don't forget my teaching. And one man said, our minds give credit to lies. This is why our father's saying, stay alert to what you're believing moment by moment. If you'll guard my teaching with your heart, you'll experience it as true wisdom and true peace. The, 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 the peace of God can't come to us if we're constantly forgetting the truth of God in the midst of our moments. So we need moment by moment to lean on him and depend on him. Friends, you who worry, with, or you who, who worry and stress, who struggle with fear and, and with shame, oftentimes at the root of that is just a forgetfulness. You forget the love of God. You forget his providence. You forget his care. And so your mind spins out over all these other things. And what the Bible is saying is peace comes to those who stay close to God and to his word, who, who, who treasure it. And if our lives are marked by regular worry and anxiety and shame, then it means we're likely forgetting the truth of God and what he wants us to, to understand. Let's look at verses three and four. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This interesting fact about this phrase, the steadfast love and faithfulness, that he's saying this should be so close to us that it's right around our necks. It's right in our hearts. When you think of steadfast love and faithfulness, it's good stuff, Right? You know, here it's not just talking, though, about general steadfast love and faithfulness. He's actually talking about a very specific steadfast love and faithfulness. In fact, it comes from God himself. In Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses desires the Lord. He says, God, would you just show me a little bit of yourself? Let me get a glimpse of you. And God says, hey, no one can look at, me, but, uh, look at me and live, but I'll give you a glimpse. I'll give you a glimpse of my glory so that you just get a taste of it. And as God passes by Moses, God reveals himself to Moses and makes his name known to Moses. And he says this in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, it's Yahweh, Yahweh, which is his personal covenant name with his people. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? Steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the name of God. And so whenever you come to uh, this passage and it says, let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, he's saying, don't let God drift away from you. Keep God close. 
bind him around your neck, write him on your heart. Don't forget the love of God, but count on it. You notice what happens whenever we get in the busyness of life or whenever our circumstances begin to spin out of control? What is it we obsess over? We fixate on, we fixate on our circumstances. What is it we need to fix? How do I get my finances in order? How do I get the situation in order? How do I solve this problem at work? How do I close the next deal? How do I handle that, that conflict situation? How do I deal with this parenting advice? We begin to fixate on all these things and we just, man, if you're like me, you just start creating lists of stuff that you need to do to get it all fixed and get it all righted. And it's interesting here, he says, don't fixate on your circumstances, fixate on the God who's over all your circumstances. Fixate yourself on the love of God and trust him in all things. And one guy said, let, uh, let who God is change you. Let, let the person of God, let the character of God, let the promises of God actually change your heart and reorient and recalibrate your life. He says, bind them around your neck, write them on the top of your heart. He's really saying glory in them. Meditate on them. Think upon these things. Uh, uh, orient your life around these things and act according to them. What would it look like for you this week, even just to think through, how do you make God's love the, the loudest voice in your life? Just in, in, as you get to Monday, as you get to Tuesday, as you get to Wednesday, you're going to have all these voices. You're going to have voices on social media and voices on the news and voices at work and voices from your supervisor and voices from those that work for you and voices from crazy neighbors and crazy uncles. And you're going to have all these voices in your life. How is it that you could elevate or turn up the volume on the voice of God and allow his love to be the loudest voice in your life? When that happens, it's going to reorient us. That's why we get to verses five and six. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. To trust or to lean, uh, those, those two verbs that it gives us really are pretty close. One, trust, the idea of trust is that you would lay face down in front of someone, surrendering your life to them in complete vulnerability. It is the idea of trust. That, that you're just, you're willing to put yourself before them and say, look, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to fear. I'm willing to lay down in front of you and surrender myself out of, out of complete and total trust. To lean on something is to put the full weight of your life on something. It's to take, take the weight of your life, and instead of you bearing it up, it's to transfer it to something else and just say, I'm going to rest in it, right? I'm going to completely allow my, my weight to sit on something else. That's the, the picture that the, psalm, or the, the Proverbs want us to get of the trust of trusting the Lord is to put the whole weight of our lives on it. But you notice he says, do not lean on, your, on what? What is it we're not supposed to lean on? Our own understanding. Why? Because it's not strong enough to hold up and bear up the weight of our entire lives. You know, it's interesting. If you compare the answers that the world gives and the answers the Bible give to how people find the good life and how it is we are to live well, it's not, pretty, it's not hard to see that these two things are at odds oftentimes, that there's some conflict in, in the way in which we are to approach the life. Our world says we find it in being ourselves. We find it in casting off all, uh, all, all restrictions and operating in total freedom. The world says we find ourselves in the, in the good life by running full bore into everything our, our lives desire and everything we want. And so it says, man, if you, if you feel like you desire something or you feel like you're made in a certain way, you ought to run headlong into all that that offers you. 
But really, self is at the center of the universe. But the Bible says the good life is found around trusting God. This is lean not on your own understanding, but lean on the Lord and trust Him. That's how we find peace and strength and joy in the, Lord, in the world over the, long, over the long haul. Ray Orland says, um, and just as we think about this idea of leaning on our own understanding versus leaning on the Lord, trusting in what God says versus trusting what we feel or what we, what we think. And it's an important thing to understand. And there are, there are different ways in which we can, we, can, we can make mistakes there. There's a religious way and there's an irreligious way that we can spin ourselves out in the wrong direction. First, let's look at the religious one. Ray Orland says, so much American religion is not about who God is. So much American religion makes us the immovable ones, the center around which God orbits. American religion is not about us changing and repenting and adjusting to who God is. It's about God making us feel better about ourselves without having to change. See, you can find all kinds of, of, of preachers and writers and bloggers and podcasters and things out there that will tell you that you're at the center of the world and that God is here to make your life better and to affirm your life and to encourage you in all the things you naturally want to do. And yet you look at the Proverbs and it says, lean not on your understanding, but trust the Lord and he will make your path straight. See, the, there's also another irreligious way in which this can spin out, and that's a whole different se- segment of our population. And some of you may fit more in that camp where you, you consider yourself more of uh, the, the so-called progressive group that is going to, uh, <clears throat> that, that really is discarding religion. And this is, look, I don't need God's affirmation. I don't believe there's a God out there that, that cares what I do. I think it's up to me and I'm a self-determined being. And so in that, I think Romans 1 speaks to that. And I want us to read just a few verses out of Romans 1. Romans 1, beginning in verse 21. Says it this way. And it'll be on the screen behind me if you want to just read along. It says, For although they knew about God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts in their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. A couple things just to point out here. You notice that there's an active running away from the truth or suppressing the truth. It says that there's, there's people that are actually trying to quench the truth. It says they, they knew this general idea about God. There was something in creation. There's something in the way the world was made. There's something in a sunset. There's something in a, in a butterfly. There's something in the, the tides and the oceans and the, the way in which the world is bent that people look and say, well, there's got to be a creator. But somehow they take that reality and they press it down. They suppress it. They hide it. They discard it in order to suppress that truth and, and build, some, build a life around self rather than around the creator. They, are, in a sense, are rebuilding the world instead of around the one who made them. They build it around the creation. They've elevated man and built a, a self around the image, uh, the images of people. And that, too, gets us in, much of, in, in great difficulty. Now, here's the problem. It's really easy to get distracted by all the ideas in our world, isn't it? 
And it's really easy or really hard to filter through all the messages that we receive. Oftentimes they're conflicting. Oftentimes it's confusing. Oftentimes they appear to be really wise and there's some element of truth in them. And you go, man, something in that feels right. But at the same time you go, but something in that seems to contradict the word of God. And so we find ourselves at times in this tension, trying to decide what it is that we're supposed to build our lives around. Take, for example, our thinking about human rights over the last 50 years. I mean, there's good mixed with bad, right? There are oftentimes many human rights that need to be elevated, need to be lifted up, and people and those who have been oppressed and those who have been in suffering who need to be, need to be brought up and given a fair shake in life. And that's very much true. But we oftentimes don't stop there. We also oftentimes move beyond that and take human rights to a whole nother level where we begin to confuse basic human rights with many other things that begin to contradict the morality of the scriptures. And in doing so, and it causes us tension. And I think what we have to recognize in this passage is that many of us have bowed down, or many in our world have bowed down to the God of self and individual rights, and it's led to all kinds of foolishness in our world. It's a confusing place to live. There's times when I look at news reports and I scratch my head and think, man, we've lost our minds. Um, which is interesting because that's exactly what Romans says is going to happen, right? That, that their minds will be darkened and they will wander off in the name of wisdom. They'll wander off into all kinds of foolishness. And this is what happens. Whenever we lean on human understanding, we step into stuff that causes us to fall flat because it, we're not strong enough to really guide our way in the world. And so we're meant to build our lives around God. Friends, let me say this too. It's not only the big debates of our day. We do this in all kinds of little ways. You know, there's all kinds of ways in which we wrestle with the reality of the world in which we live. It invades our emotions. It invades our thought life. It invades our, our preferences and, and the way in which we invest our time. It invades uh, really our view of our circumstances and our identity. It shapes everything that we do. And every one of us is, is, is going to live in this tension of, man, am I going to trust self or am I going to trust the Lord? And we're going to have days in which we move back and forth between those things. So let me, ask, let me just say this. You have a choice. Either you're going to rearrange the truth to fit the life that you desire, or you're going to rearrange your life to fit the truth. But that, that, that's a dividing line in our spiritual health and our spiritual vibrancy. So let me ask you a couple questions. Do you ever let the Bible overrule your thinking and the thinking of our world? Like, do you ever have ideas that you come and you get in the scriptures and you go, oh, that disagrees with me. And so you rearrange your thinking in order to match what God said. Do you allow the Bible to overrule your emotions and your feelings? Is there ever a time where you just go, man, I want to be angry right now. And you're like, oh, but God says this. And I reorient my emotions and bring them back down to a better place so that I can love my family more effectively. Do you ever allow it to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to overrule your drives and your desires and your passions in a way that says, man, God says this is like a raging fire that will burn me up if I give my life to it. I need to bring that back under control. It's a good thing, but a good thing that's overused is, can be a bad thing so that the Bible overrides our preferences or our desires. If if you don't let the Bible override that things, what it means is you're really leaning on your own understanding. That you're not trusting the Lord. You're leaning on your own self to really take that role of God. And if you obey 
If you obey God when his commands happen to coincide only with your preferences and your presuppositions, then you're not really walking by faith. There's never been a human being this side of the garden other than Jesus who didn't have the Bible contradict their emotions, their thinking, their preferences at different times. And so we're constantly reorienting our lives around what God says. Verses 7 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Friends, God's not holding out on you. He's not not resisting you. He wants to bring healing and refreshment and renewal. He wants to make your path straight. He wants to bring joy and peace and strength to your life. Christ came and he says that he came to give us life to the fullest. God's not holding out on you, trying to keep you from the good life. He wants you to see what the good life truly is. And he wants you to enjoy it to the fullest. If God's love and his faithfulness are the, the, the greatest and strongest truths of the world, why would we not trust him with everything in our lives? Why would you not, why would you hold back some of your life if you truly believe that his love is the best thing in the world? You wouldn't, you give it all freely over. And so he says, trust the Lord with all your heart in all your ways, acknowledge him. He's saying, hold nothing back. To acknowledge him is really to be aware of him, to have fellowship with him, to engage in a relationship with him, to be aware of his presence moment by moment by moment, that you're acknowledging, man, God is here. Man, God is good. God loves me. God is over my circumstances. God is engaged in the here and now. God knows what's happening in my life in this moment and in this moment and in this moment and in this moment. And you go through your day acknowledging the, God, the Lord's presence in all things. And you know, my concern for us is that we really aren't enjoying life as much as God wanted us to. That, that somehow because we lean on self, what happens when we lean on self is it increases our worry, it increases our anxiety, it increases our stress, it increases the pressure we have to perform and make every right decision and every right thing. Because we're not free to just trust the Lord and trust that he's got our best in mind. You know, the first time I did a ropes course as a kid, I had this mistaken understanding of the way in which that little ropes course world worked. And as I was doing this ropes course, there was a, a gal and the rope, the rope that I went on went up to a little pulley and then it went down and there was a gal that, uh, you know, was in, I mean, I don't remember what age I was, but I was, I was kind of high school age, but I looked down at this girl and she was there to pull my rope along to make sure it kind of went with me and, and stayed out of the way. Somehow I got in my head that she was holding me up. And that if I slipped from this ropes course and fell, this little girl was going to have to balance me and hold me. And that all of my security and all my safety on that ropes course was connected to this, this little girl that looked like she weighed about half of what I did. And that that was where really what I had to depend on and count on. And so guess how I operated in that, in that ropes course? And I was like this. I was doing this the whole time. And my, my, when I got done, my forearms, I was like, I don't think I can pick up a cup of water. Like I was in so much pain. I was so tired and so exhausted because I just thought I don't want to die. And so I'm holding on for dear life. And here's the thing. I think some of us approach the spiritual life that way. That you're leaning on your own understanding. You think all the weight's on you. You think if you let go of the rope, you're going to fall. You think if you don't do everything just right, you don't have a chance. And so you, you're doing life like this, just clenched, hanging on. And then God's going, man, I got this. 
The reality was I was in a pulley. I could have just jumped off and dangled and been totally fine and nothing was going to happen. But I was living in such a way that my life was shaped more by fear than by reality. Friends, do you feel like you live that way sometimes? That you, you come up to a, a bump in the road at work and you do this because you're afraid that it may not work? The whole time God's going, man, I got you. You come up to a conflict in marriage and you don't want to say I'm sorry because you're like, if I give in, she might or he might or, you know, and you start doing this and God's going, man, I got this. Why don't you move first? Why don't you go and, and reinitiate conversation? What keeps you from that kind of trust? I think God wants us to live in those places with full trust in him. Verses 9 and 10, he gives us an example, and he really just goes to one area where we all struggle with this at, at different levels, but it's a, it's a common example. And he's just saying, and here's one way this might work out in your life. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first four fruits of your produce, and then you will have plenty. It's just an example of life. To know God in your financial ways is to honor him with your money, to put him first. And it's so fascinating to me when I talk to people about this, how much, I mean, we can do this math in our head and work it out and go, and I know I, how I'm going to make this thing work and I'm going to do this. And it, like the Bible, like, we, we get uncomfortable talking about it, but the Bible's really not confusing. Like it's not complex math the way the Bible talks about some of this stuff. It's pretty, it's really pretty simple, but we can justify all kinds of things in the way in which we operate. But you know, it says honor God with your wealth. It really could be honor God from your wealth, meaning not, not just that you manage it well, but that from your wealth, there's a way in which you honor the Lord in, in the way in which you operate. And so out of your wealth, you're giving some honor to God. To honor him means to, to make him weighty. That, that you say, man, he's so weighty. I want to I invest something in his, in his name and help to make him famous and weighty and significant in our world. Now, it, one quick reminder, in our day, I have to say this almost every time, but it's important to say it out of Proverbs too. This isn't talking about the prosperity gospel or what sometimes theologians call the prosperity gospel. If you give a certain amount, God's gonna give you a bunch more. It's not about you being healthy and wealthy, uh, but it can be a little bit confusing because it does say, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Uh, that means there's a lot, right? I mean, that's kind of what that means. If you have plenty, it means there's, there's going to be a lot. And if you trust the Lord, he says it's going to, it's going to re, uh, come back to you. Now, it's important, I think, because false teachers take verses like these and twist them and make them seem like God wants us all rich and he wants us all to have a jet and he wants us all to, you know, have, have more than we need and be able to, you know, sleep on a bed of cash and that kind of thing. That's really not what it's saying. Proverbs, it's important to, to remember, is not promises about that, that, that you can kind of name and claim. It's really general instruction about, hey, generally here's how the life works and it's poetic. And so in that poetic deal, what he's saying is, man, if you obey God, good stuff's gonna come your way. That, that, that really is the intent of the way in which he's describing that. And you really see that in the other sections as well. He says, you're gonna have favor with God and man. He says uh, that you're gonna, uh, in verse, verses uh, Verse four, you'll, favor, you'll have fine favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse two, for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. There's a general pattern. What he's saying is, if you obey the Lord, then the world's gonna work in the way it should most of the time. And in the end, not always and not in every circumstance, but in the end, God's gonna bless you in the way in which, um, the way in which he responds to your obedience. So 
Let's look at, if you continue and just begin to, to look at the last section here, verses 11, 12, he comes back and says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Because God loves us so much. He's saying is he's always at work behind the scenes of our lives to help us learn to trust him more. He sends us wake-up calls sometimes in the circumstances of our lives to say, hey, you might be depending on self here, and maybe this is a place where you need to learn to trust me a little bit more. And so God is constantly working. The Bible often refers to this as the discipline of a healthy father. Just like we offer correction to our children, not for their harm, but for their good. Our heavenly father offers correction and discipline for us, not to harm us or belittle us, but so that we would trust him more and we'd experience more of the life he wants to give. But let's be honest. How many of you love discipline? You're like, oh man, give me some correction. Like I need a little, none of us love discipline at the moment. It's always experienced like hardship. It's always a frustrating thing when we're in the midst of it. And so that's why I think it it says, as it comes to the end of this passage about trusting God is, sometimes it's gonna hurt a little bit to learn to trust him more. You're gonna go through some hardship in order to realize, and I need to surrender some of my own understanding and depend on him a little bit more. Notice he says, do not despise it or be weary of it. See, to, to despise God's discipline or to be weary of God's discipline both show an absence of trust. They both show, show a void or a lack of trust. To despise it is to reject it. What happens when you despise something? What emotion do you, do you think of there? Hate, anger, right? Uh, bitterness. It's something that because God's disciplined you, any of you ever felt that way before? Because you're experiencing a season of correction or discipline and your circumstances aren't going the way they are and God's getting your attention, that you just get mad at the Lord? Do you just get angry? You're just like, hey, enough of this. It says, do not despise it. Resentment, bitterness, frustration uh, can sometimes give us hard hearts. It can, it can harden us. So instead of softening us so that we trust the Lord more, it can harden us so that we resist him. Then to be weary of it is to shrink from it. If to despise it is kind of this aggressive, active attack mode, to be weary of it is more of a passive, like, ah, I'm just gonna shrink back and I'm gonna be afraid and just receive it as a negative thing. So for one, and really that, that brings more fear, discouragement, anxiety, we're weary of his reproof which kind of makes us, we're kind of dependent and soft. So if one made us hard, this one makes us really soft. There's just no strength to our lives to stand up under it. And there's a balance that's needed between the two. So most of us trend, tend in one direction or the other. Do you know which one you are? When circumstances don't go your way and God's getting your attention, are you the kind that gets mad and wants to go be aggressive towards God and you despise it? Or are you the one that just gets kind of sad and sappy and you begin to feel despair and you're just like, oh, life's not worth living? See, what, we probably go in one direction or the other. And it's good to know which side you fall off on so that you can self-correct and come back in the right direction. Um, Hebrews 12 says this, because neither of those are healthy responses. Hebrews 12:11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, this is, the word we get trained by it is the word we get gymnasium from. It, what it means is sometimes God is your personal trainer putting you through a workout. And he wants to strengthen you for life. And so he's 
putting you through circumstances that really are, are they're exercising your faith. What happens when you exercise? You, they break you down in order to build you up, right? You get stretched and something begins to get broken down and begins to unravel so that it can be built back up and become stronger. If you've ever been through a real workout, there's a reason you're sore on the other side. Spiritually, it's the same way. That sometimes we have to be broken down so we can be built back up. And that's what God's discipline does for us. And here's what I want you to see. When we trust the Lord, when, when we're not leaning on our own understanding, we face this difficulty. Let me just give you some results it produces in us. We understand the reasons for the discipline. We acknowledge it as God's grace to us. We see it as God's provision to change us. We wait and understand until God really makes known the purpose. And we draw support from the seal of our adoption, the Holy Spirit. See, God's discipline means that he's working to help us mature and grow up in the faith. And what we've learned in theory, we begin to put into practice experientially. What you, what you understand imperfectly, you, get, you, you deepen and understand more richly when you've walked through some discipline and some correction over time. So let me um, come back around to the phrase we saw at the very beginning. Uh, beginning of this passage, at the end of this passage, he says what? My son. That's important for us as we receive kind of this message and as we think about what it is he's saying. It's important that we don't forget our title as sons and daughters because sons and daughters of a healthy father can completely trust him with everything in their lives. Sons and daughters with a good relationship with a father who, who is known as one who is of steadfast love and constant faithfulness, who has your good in mind and who wants to hold nothing back but give you life to the full, then you can unreservedly trust him with everything in your life. And friends, what we know on this side of the New Testament is that Christ has won our sonship. Christ has won our adoption for us. That through his death on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins, he's restored us into right relationship with the Father. And through his resurrection, he's claimed victory for us that we will be children of the King forevermore. He's exalted himself and sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. So every circumstance that we face in life, we know that Christ is next to our Father interceding for us. And not only that, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. And it says that that's the seal of our adoption. Friends, he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it. He's never going to quit. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are completely secure as sons and, the, and, sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And one day he'll return and he'll make all things new and we'll get, to, we'll get to run and enjoy all the fruits of what it is he brings. But until that day, we're in process. So between now and the day in which we're made new and get to rejoice completely in him, man, we're gonna continue sometimes to face some discipline, but we're gonna live in the tension. So can I encourage you? And let's be those who don't trust in our own understanding, but trust fully in the Lord and in his ways. What would it look like this week for you to wake up in the morning and start every day going to the Lord with the assumption that you need his guidance? What would it, what would it look like for you to wake up tomorrow morning and just say, God, my understanding is not enough. I'll fall flat. Would you give me your, would you allow me to lean on you to trust your love and your, your steadfast love and your faithfulness? And allow you to guide me, <clears throat> to guide me and make my path straight today. And then moment by moment, as you go throughout the day, to continue to come back and just to recalibrate your heart to say, man, my God is good. My God is love. My God wants to guide me. My God is enough for whatever it is I'm facing today.
Let me pray for us. Father, we trust you, and we come to you in faith, asking that you would help us not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust you in all, in all our ways. Father, we would hold nothing back, but that we would live with abandon in moment by moment, total dependence upon you, because you are good, and you want nothing but good for us. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.